Revelation 21, verse 10, and I'm going to read all the way down to 22, verse 5. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates, twelve angels. And names were written on them, which are those of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. And the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Verse 19, the foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth, Chrysophrase, the eleventh, Jasin, the twelfth, Amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun, or of the moon to shine upon it. For the Lord God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring the glory into it. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the least of the tree with the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse. Now the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservant shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. So Thomas and Ellie, all you kids up here, especially my kids, pay attention. Okay? Don't be playing around with games. 
during the, the preaching of the word. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage, and we thank you, Lord, that you are preparing a place for us. We thank you for the blue, for the beauty that we see in this great text, Lord. And we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and, and ears to hear, Lord. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. I'm just going to set my time here. There is a, a phrase that I'm sure all of us are very familiar with, that if you have kids, you've heard your kids say it very, very, very often, especially when you travel someplace. What is this phrase, this question? That, Are we there yet? Exactly. Are we there yet? And I can remember, I used to say that all the time to my dad. He'd get so frustrated with me on the way to Jetty Park, either the beach or the mountains. One time he said, if you keep saying that, I'm going to pull this car over. Which meant, pull the car over and then I get a spanking. Because he just had had enough of, Are you there yet? Are you there yet? In fact, now, Ellie and I have a joke, so not not every time, but almost every time we go someplace, as soon as we get in the car, she'll say, are we there yet? <laughs> so it's very cute, but I, I can remember, for me, going to the mountains, it was just a great joy. I had so many memories and fun times in the mountains. It, it was a blast. Or going to the ocean, and we would go fishing or body surfing. It was so much fun that I had such anticipation. Is though I annoyed my parents. Are we there yet? Are, are we there yet? I had so much anticipation, expectation of having such a great time that it, it kept coming out. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And I wonder if we have that same kind of drive for heaven. Are we there yet? You know, there, part of it is I know why my parents get mad or why they got mad or why I'm tempted to get mad is there can be a type of discontentedness. There can be a type of impatience. I don't want to wait. I already want to be at camp. I, I want to be at Disney World. I want to be in the mountains. I, I want to be in the ocean. I want to be fishing right now. I have to be there right now because it's so much fun. And there's a true anticipation of joy and excitement that we want to experience, which is not bad. That's good. But I think perhaps I would say that for heaven, it's not usually there unless maybe you have yourself a significant trial yourself. Then maybe there is this deep longing for heaven. I'm not saying that's true for everybody, but I, I question, are we really, really longing for heaven? And I think sometimes, yes, we need to be all here and to live in this life, but we've been taught that, that other sentence, that other saying, if you're too heavenly minded, then you can't be of any earthly good. But I would say if we're more heavenly minded, then we can truly have an impact on this earth. That the problem could be that we're not heavily minded enough. That we don't anticipate and expect heaven, guys, because 
we're thinking about other things and the treasure that this earth has for us. And again, I'm not trying to say that everything in this earth is bad. It's not. God gives us many things to richly enjoy. But we're here for a brief time. A very brief time. But heaven is forever. Even at the end of the passage I read, it says, and they shall reign forever and ever. So what I would like for us to do is to help us to live in this life now by looking at what heaven's going to be like in the future. And I think the more that we understand heaven in the future and how awesome it's going to be, we'll be enabled by that not to be so fixed on, on this life. Rather, we can live for Jesus fully in the now. So when you think about heaven, just one word, what's one word that comes to your mind when you think about heaven? Glorious. God. Good. Over here. Joy. Light. Was that peace? That's excellent. Yes. What else? Eternity. Yes. No more sin. Yes. That's excellent. How many of you, have, when you think about heaven, think of like Jasper, <laughs> you <know>? Amherst? Because <laughs> you have this passage. Go ahead. I haven't thought about this yet. Yeah. Gold. Yeah, beauty, beauty. There, there's many descriptions that the Holy Spirit through John brings up that we don't always think about, and all those answers are true. I thought of a few words, and I, I wrote them down. I thought of mega awesome, extra marvelous, unimaginable, incredible, phenomenal, exceptional, and from Princess Bride, inconceivable. <laughs> Why? Well, the place is incredibly glorious. The people, you guys, you believers... Are gonna are incredibly glorious. You're, I love you. You and I are not glorious now, but one day, it says even in Philippians, at the end of chapter three, that we will be glorious. But the most glorious thing about heaven is is the Lord, the Lamb, which is interesting. It says, "Who's in heaven with God the Father, the Lamb." In this passage, it talks about the Lamb, the the, the Redeemer, the Savior. The king who is the lamb, he will be there. A glorious place, more glorious people, and the most glorious person is Jesus. He'll be there. So as we look at this passage, I, we'll talk more about it as we get into the different points, but I think this is my opinion. I wonder, another thing I wonder when I have studied this is, there's so many different opinions as to what all the levels of the city are. You know, is it going to really have all these different levels and each level is a different jewel and is the road going to be really gold and is it going to be 24 karat gold? And the glass, what kind of glass is it going to be? And, and the, the tree, is, there, is the tree, how can you have a tree in heaven? Are there dogs in heaven? And is my, you know, and we have, we 
come up with all these, ah, when really we need to step back and not get lost up necessarily in this, is it figurative? Is it literal? And we'll talk about that in a moment, but just one, one hermeneutical point. You always take the Bible in a literal fashion, always. Everything in the Bible is literal, in this sense. It's a literal b- biblical interpretation, but literal biblical interpretation includes metaphors and includes figurative speech. So whenever you approach a book like a major prophet or revelation and people begin to, is it literal, is it figurative? Biblical, historic, grammatical interpretation includes the figurative interpretation. Okay? And so we have to understand that. And we can talk about it more during break, but really that's about as far as I want to go. We'll go into it a little bit as we look at these points. We're going to look at five or six now and five or six tonight, different components of what heaven is going to be like. And we're just going to follow the text. The text that I have here doesn't first talk about Jesus. It does talk about Jesus, and we'll get there. Certainly, he's the most important part. That's why I said glorious place, more glorious people. You guys, you're created in the image of God. You're newly created. You're going to be glorified with Christ. The most glorious person is Jesus. He's going to be there. But there are some unique dimensions, dynamic, or components. So number one, is this. It is more real than any construction in this universe. It's more real than any construction that's in this universe. Again, sometimes uh, people, commentators, can, can wonder, is it real? I hope this is mine. Is it real? Is it, you know, is it an illusion? What's it going to be like when you go to heaven? Is it just going to be a cloud? Is Thomas going to have wings on his back? So he's going to fly around and bother all the girls. What's it going to be like? Well, when you look at this passage, how does it foundationally describe it? A building? And very specifically, when you look at this passage, not just a building, but there's at least this building that's there, this, uh, such a buildings, this city, and a measuring rod is taken, measurements are made. It even talks about human measurements are the same as angelic measurements. And then it talks about even gates and walls, and it talks about the different levels and what the streets are made out of, and all these different gems that that are there, and these gates, gates of the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and, you know, even the the 12 apostles, why why does it talk about that? Well, the promised plan of God. The promised plan of God was revealed through the 12 tribes of Israel, and then through the apostles, the redemptive historical message. But when you look at this passage, specifically, when you step back from it, you see that there is a New Jerusalem as a city. It will come down, be on the, the new earth, new heavens, new Jerusalem. But the city is actually described as being a, a real city. It mentions names of real jewels. 
It even talks about a measuring rod. It gives actual measurements. So at least we could say this. Some people, by some people, I have to be careful. Uh, is it Greg Beal? Great commentary. And then you have, uh, well, MacArthur's commentary is pretty good. Uh, Hamilton has a good commentary in Revelation. There's many wonderful commentaries that come from different perspectives, and so it's good to get commentaries that come from different perspectives on Revelation. But sometimes when they read this, they'll look at the 1,500 miles here when it talks about New Jerusalem and say, well, that's about the same dimensions as the Roman Empire at that time. It's about the same dimensions of the Roman Empire at that time. So probably then, what the Holy Spirit is saying through John to, to all these seven churches in Asia Minor is, your, your home, the home that you will live forever, basically, it's going to be the size of the Holy Roman Empire. You know, the Rome, this being, shouldn't say holy, the, the, the Roman Empire, that's going to be the size of your home, where you're going to live. I would say, okay, I think that sounds reasonable, but if the measurements 1,500, 1,500, and 1,500 are given, we could say that at least it's not going to be less than 1,500. If the measurements are giving 1,500, 1,500, 1,500, 1,500, at least it's not going to be any smaller than that. Otherwise, that would there'd be no reason to be given those measurements. So what I'm saying is with all these different measurements, given all the different jewels that are there, having the gates, having the wall, this description, and that it lasts forever, means that it's going to be more, there is no curse, right? We read that in the passage. means it's going to be more real than any other thing that's ever been made. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples, during the Last Supper, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. So then when you think about all of these things together, and you think about the life that we live now, what lasts forever? What has man made that lasts for, you know, 6,000 years? You know, human hands built by finite, sinful people is going to fall apart. And God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And so anything that was made, even that, even that's lasted a thousand years, God's going to destroy. But there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. And on this new heaven, new earth, it's going to be new Jerusalem. And it's going to be a city and a place that has got dimensions. It's a city. It's, it's real. There's gates. And because all those things are said, it's going to last forever and ever and ever. It is more real than this earth. This earth is what C.S. Lewis calls the, the shadowlands. It's temporary here. It's not forever. I think sometimes when we think of heaven, we can kind of, if we're not careful, think, like we read maybe transparent glass, and so we can think, you know, maybe it's almost like, oh, you know, you've watched enough TV. Maybe you watched, remember, was it the 80s? I forgot the actors in it, that movie Ghost, right? I, I even forgot the story. She falls in love with the ghost. Is it Patrick Swayze? Yeah. 
<laughs> maybe. So maybe that can, if, if we're not careful, that can be the idea of heaven for us. Heaven is going to be more real than you can possibly imagine. This, this wood and this and this coffee, this all disintegrates and it all falls apart. Heaven's not going to fall apart, ever. It is more solid, more real than that tree out there. It is. And so that's one of the first things we have to realize. Heaven's not this smoky, wispy place. It it has more true substance than anything in the universe ever before because it's not cursed. So that's the first thing about heaven. And we, we, we don't understand that because we don't live in that kind of a universe. Right? Even in Colossians 1, it talks about that through the death of Christ, the whole universe is going to be reconciled. Right? Even the stars, in one sense, are under the curse. Right? The whole universe is because of Adam and Eve's sin. But not heaven. Not our home. Even after a billion years, no humans or angels could build this kind of a new earth, a new heaven, a new Jerusalem. What, what company would you hire? You know, I don't know any construction companies. I don't know their names. I think there's one called McKinley that I'm aware of at Grace Church. What company would you call? The U.S. Army? Hey, U.S. Army engineers, can you guys come and build New Jerusalem? Could they do it? Could NASA do it? The Indians? Can any do it? The Chinese? Nobody. But who can do it? Yeah, yeah. Jesus is doing it. Can you imagine that? Who are you going to get to make your home? Jesus is doing it. What? Jesus is making my home for me. Why? He loves me? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I have no idea. He, he chose to have grace on me. It's <laughs> Yes, John chapter 2, right? <laughs> Amen. And so we need to think about the, these things and not be... As glued to this earth, we need to be all here, but all here because we're looking toward heaven, which is not a place that crumbles. It lasts forever, and it's eternal and solid and real. Number two, it is more wealthy than any place that's ever been in the universe. And I think this is one of the ideas that's in this passage, especially with all the different stones. It says in verse 19, the foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. Think about the believers that would have received this text and heard this passage being read. Were they wealthy Christians? No, not at all. They weren't wealthy people at all. Most of them had very little money. Rome and the empire had lots of money. Nero, whoever was the emperor at this time, Jerusalem, not Jerusalem, uh, Rome was adorned with jewels. And the elite had all kinds of money. And the emperor had, had all the money. 
and these poor believers had nothing. You know, if you were to go to many parts of the world and talk to many believers in Asia, maybe South America, China, Christians don't have a lot of money. And especially these didn't. And so they didn't know how long they would live because they didn't have the resources to sustain themselves. Even now, who knows what's going to happen? With the food, with money, our banks. You know, there's so many rumors and things. All kinds of things could happen. We don't know. All the banks could close, right? All the farms could shut down. Fertilize, you know, all these different things. It could be very concerning, and I'm sure it was for these believers, and they lived in a, an empire where there was a true dictator. And so God is telling them about their home, that their future home, you know how Nero or whoever was the emperor has all this gold and all these jewels, all these riches, and all of you want those things, and those are the hallmarks of, of society, of having achieved the, the uppermost echelon of society. Those are basic building materials. What are some of our basic building materials that we use? Uh, you know, drywall, wood, concrete. What's that? Spackleteen, you know. Many years ago, I think they've all been pulled out now, but if decades ago you went to the Taj Mahal, has anybody been to the Taj Mahal? If you go to the Taj Mahal, on the Taj, it's basically a uh, tomb that I think one of the Shah, one of the um, Muslim kings there in Agra built for his wife decorating that building, there were rubies and and uh, sapphires and emeralds stuck into the wall. And now they've been removed and they put glass ones on there, basically. But for, for decades and decades, they, they, they were real. Well, when this vision about heaven is given here in this passage, it, it's not even like that, Thomas. It's not even like that. It's not just that there's these jewels that were stuck into the wall. It's the walls and the level, the levels themselves are made out of all these precious jewels. The question is, again, are they, are they real? Are they fake? Do I want to go to a city where this level is Amherst and then there's Emerald and then there's this jewel and this jewel? That's going to look kind of odd. Have you ever thought that way? I, I have. Maybe, maybe we'll get to heaven, and it will at least have those those colors. But I think we can say this: that primarily, what this is connotating is that heaven is going to be infinitely more rich and and of wealth than you could ever possibly imagine. You could combine all the wealth of all the richest people that ever lived, and that's not going to be anything but like a piece of wall or something that you walk on. It's going to be steps for your foot. That's how wonderful and and rich and and wealthy heaven is because those items mean nothing to God. Those items are not the currency of heaven. 
the, the currency for right now, but this life is brief. I'm almost 55. Maybe I have 30 years. Maybe. Maybe not. We live by a different currency forever and ever and ever. The currency isn't human wealth. And I think that's what God is trying to encourage these believers about is our lives are all together focused on something else. That heaven is going to be this place where the city itself, new heaven and new earth, it is more real than you can possibly imagine. And it is so wealthy that the, that you could get all the wealth of this earth and all that it's ever had, and it's nothing but something you would walk on. And so we have to realize that. And maybe that's why Jesus says in a parable about when he talks about the, the mammon, that, you know, the using unrighteous money wisely. We don't want to love money, but we want to use it righteously and wisely. And so we can do that and we want to provide for our families and provide well. And that's good and that's right. But ultimately, again, the currency of heaven is not gold and diamonds and paper money that has green on it or some credits and the bank account. That doesn't mean anything for God, for Christ, or for eternity. Nothing. And that's encourage. It should be encouraging to us. You know, don't don't estimate the value of life based upon how much you have in your bank account or your assets. That doesn't impress God either way, more or less. And it should again. It should encourage us. Heaven will be the most wealthiest place you can ever be. I, I, I've told some of you that one time we got a call from a friend, this is when we were missionaries, and said, you guys want the lifestyles of the rich and famous? And we had to say yes. So right now you're looking at me, you're looking at somebody famous. I was on, Lisa and I were on the lifestyles of the rich and famous. It's 100% true. You didn't know that, did you? It's lifestyles of the rich and famous. And so we were invited to go to a friend's house in Hong Kong. Every six months, we had to leave India for passport purposes. So we went to a friend's house in Hong Kong, and their uncle was one of the richest persons in Hong Kong and had the world's longest single-piece glass table. And they invited us over for dinner, so over there for dinner, and there was a film crew there. We just thought they were shooting something for the family. We didn't know. It was actually put on TV, and it was about this guy's lifestyle. So different people from America that had supported us for missions were calling us, I just saw you guys in the lifestyles that are rich and famous. <laughs> so it was very funny. But it was, it was sad when I was there, and I'm not exaggerating, there were people that were going down. This man owned a bunch of, I think, Hilton's or, or Holiday Inns. And they, they were Indians in uh, Hong Kong. And they would bow down and, and kiss his feet. Because he had so much money. He had so much wealth. You know, it's sad. I, I, he's, he's passed away now. And I'm not trying to be mean to him or cast judgment on him. Is he wealthy? Is he wealthy now? 
He's as poor as anybody could ever be. And there's no hope for him. He's in hell. He didn't go to heaven. Yet he had more money than probably I could ever spend in my life. So I think God is encouraging these believers and us that in heaven, if you want to think about wealth, heaven is going to have more wealth than you could ever, 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 ever dream possible. So think about heaven. Third, it's more beautiful than any place in the universe. Look at verse 11. Having the glory of chapter 21. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone. Again, all these ideas of stone and value and, and preciousness and jewels and, and diamonds, because for these people, that was, that was glorious. That, that, that was awesome. And the glory of God is there. And it's bouncing off of all of these stones and glowing and shining and illuminating everything. And even, look at verse 15, the measuring rod. Apparently, it's made out of what? Gold. And so then the question is, was it really a real gold measuring rod? And then there'll be a whole chapter written about, is it a gold? Is it really a gold measuring rod? Well, I think first it was a vision. It was a dream. The idea is really, again, of value, of significance, uh, of importance, but also of what? It's beautiful. It's awesome. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. It's beautiful because who's there? The triune God is, is there. Jesus is there. The, the Lamb. Why the Lamb? Because He's our Redeemer. He's our Savior. He was our substitute on the cross. And His glory is shining everywhere. Chapter 22, verse 5. And there shall no longer be any night, for they don't have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them. God in his glory is the sun. Who, who created the sun and all the stars? God. So all, all of their light, all of their power, all of their strength and heat and brilliance comes from God. Now, of course, children, don't do this. But I'm sure all of us at one time or another have tried to look at the sun. And it's just, oh, okay, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's just, you'll, you'll go blind. We'll be able to be with God and his glory and not be consumed. And he is so glorious in his awesomeness that he is all the light. There, there is no light switch in heaven. God is the light. God is the glory. And all of that then is the way that John is describing it. It's shining off of all of these these jewels and all of these precious stones and off the glass. And it's just amazingly glorious. And again, the picture that's being painted is think about during the ancient times. Did they have electricity? No. Now, today, our power goes off, and we can be, where's the candles, candles, flashlights, the cell phone, cell phone? Ah, it's so dark. Ah, you know, it's, ah. You know, maybe, you know, here, you go to the bathroom, I have to have a flashlight. I have to have two flashlights. I have to put something on my head, you know, have a lamp here. In heaven, it's not dark. Not because the the power company uses nuclear engine or, or fusion. 
that's not why. It's because God is there in person. And so everything is illuminated with his beautiful glory. And it talks about things being made there by God himself is also beautiful. Heaven's going to be the most beautiful place. I've, I'm thankful I've been to so many places on earth. I've seen incredible beauty up in the mountains, on the beach. I've been into the, not Mount Everest, but I have been in the, the Himalayan mountains. They call it the Himalayas. I've been in some, Norway was very, very, very beautiful. Rocky Mountains, very beautiful. I've been to one place in Nevada. There was nobody that was there. It was closest town was, I think, 50 miles away. We're up in the mountains and surrounded by four or five peaks. And there's groves of aspens. And at night, you can see just blankets of stars. It was so incredibly beautiful. It's nothing compared to how beautiful and glorious heaven will be. This is pretty. This is beautiful. But it's, it's under a curse. Heaven's not under a curse. Heaven is home. Heaven is truly, truly, truly your home. I have a home. Lisa's made it into a wonderful home. It's the kids' home, but it's not your home home. It's not your home home. Actually, where we live now is camp, right? The homes that we have now really are camp. We think we're camping now. Compared to heaven, your home now is a camp. It's true. That's how glorious, awesome, and beautiful heaven is. And then we'll just look at one more before we break. Also, it is more purposefully designed for you than any place in the universe. It's more purposefully designed for you than any place in the universe. And I think when you look back at this passage, and this was written through John the Apostle, who also wrote, of course, the Gospel of John. Remember, again, John said that Jesus said that in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And then when you read this here, I think also when it talks about the the measuring rod and how the city is like a cube, it doesn't mean it is a cube, but like a Star Trek Borg ship, okay? The highest tower, the farthest wall, it's basically a square, and you have you have these different dimensions. Probably it's the longest, the farthest, the highest, highest, and it's fifteen hundred miles. And taking the measuring rod, and then it talks about all the different kinds of stones. Why? Why is that given? Do you know that heaven actually had a designer? When somebody built your house, probably they didn't just go. Mm, I hope not. Maybe. But I, I think probably they just didn't go, let's just do this. Let's put this here, this here. Okay, we're done. You know, they, they didn't just come and just put something up there. They actually had a blueprint for it, right, and, and made it. What Jesus told his disciples that I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you, I think this passage in Revelation is adding on to that. And Jesus, the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, through John to these believers, is saying, here's what I have been designing and am designing for you. It's Jesus preparing heaven for you. Now, what, what does that mean? When you get to heaven, are, are you going to have an office? 
Are, are you going to have your own bedroom? Well, you're probably not going to be sleeping. You, you don't need to sleep in heaven. Maybe you love sleep too much. <laughs> we don't know all those minute details. What we do know is that God designed heaven. He's the best designer there ever is. And he designed heaven in many ways for you. And he's been working on it for a long time, but he could do it in a split second of a split second if he wanted to. Maybe he did. Maybe it's already ready for you. This is what's being taught, however, in this passage. That's one of the things that that comes out is it's designed, it's built, it has an architect, and that architect and the builder is God. And it's made with the best materials that it could ever be made with. It's designed for you. You can even look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 49, which we'll talk about just very briefly later. But even your future body, that it will be imperishable, spiritual, powerful, is designed for heaven. So heaven and you are designed together to be with Christ and to live forever without the curse. That's incredible. That's amazing. It's not going to be you get to heaven and you're going to be like, you know, I just don't fit in here. That's going to be mind stunning. And, you know, my mom is there right now and she's not like, ah, I wish I could be, I wish I could go be of Tom. I really miss Tommy. She's probably saying, Tom needs to come here pretty quick. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> I'm not going back. I want to be here. I doubt anybody that's gone to heaven is, oh, can I go back to earth? I, I doubt that very much. And so heaven is its very real, more real than this earth. This earth, this life passes. Heaven will not. It was designed for you. It's a very... It's the most beautiful place you could ever be, and all the wealth of all the universe would not equal all the wealth that heaven itself is for you. And so that's what we need to think about heaven. Again, maybe to think about it, think about it in this light, is that that man I talked about in Hong Kong, the house that he lived in was huge. Very ornate, very incredible house. But that's just like camping out compared to heaven. You, know, you could take all the most beautiful castles or homes that were ever built, and compared to heaven, that is camping out. Your home now is like camping out, as beautiful as it is. And then we'll talk about next time. It's so beautiful because Jesus is there and because you're there. But heaven itself, that place is incredible. This is all prologue. It is real life, but we are in the shadow lands, and the light is in heaven, where Christ is. Lord, we thank you that you give us heaven by grace, and we get there because you bought us, because you paid for our sin on the cross, Lord. We thank you for that, and we pray for any of those that are here this morning that want to go to heaven, that haven't trusted Jesus, that you would enable them, Lord, to trust you, that they would be saved, Lord.
Lord, we thank you that you have prepared and are preparing heaven for us. What a truly great place, Lord, it's going to be. Incredible, Lord, and we give you the praise and the glory that, that you would give this to us is humbling, Lord. May we live faithfully for you, Lord, not to earn salvation, but out of thankfulness, out of hearts overflowing with thankfulness, that you would be so kind and, and loving and gracious to us, Lord. You didn't have to make all this for us, but even you count us as your children and want our fellowship. That, that, that's amazing, Lord. And we give you praise and we give you glory. We thank you for Christ's sake. Amen.